You're listening to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from BIV and BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, we have our weekly BIV tech panel. We'll be talking about our digital identities and how we carry them across the border. We'll be talking about Apple's apology for spying through Siri and what was actually going on, as well as social credit systems. There's one in China. They have forms of these in Silicon Valley. We'll talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly. We have a number of events coming up this month and throughout the fall season, all hosted by BIV and some of them I'd like to bring your attention to. On September 11th, we have our Business Excellence Series. It's kickstarting its year of programming with our Women in Business panel. You can hear from business leaders on the topics of equal pay and how successful women rise through the ranks at work. The event takes place at the Vancouver Club. I'll be moderating and I hope to see many of you there. While America remains Canada's largest trading partner, the partnership can be fraught with uncertainty, bickering, tariffs, and legal fights, as we well know. For many businesses, this environment is difficult to navigate, to say the least. So on October 2nd, BIV hosts an expert discussion on navigating the U.S. for business. It will examine the best practices to optimize opportunity in times of geopolitical challenge. It will also help businesses steer away from the difficult straits. Canada's first year of legalized cannabis has seen significant industrial development and investment. We've also seen a range of regulations imposed around consumer outlets. We've seen a supply shortage, as well as a persistent black market that continues to complicate the cannabis landscape. So what have we learned? What lessons can be applied to the next stage of legalization? On October 9th, BIV's Cannabis One Year On panel will examine industry opportunities, challenges, and next steps. For this and all of our events, visit BIV.com slash events. It's time now for BIV's weekly tech panel. Joining me back in studio is Linda Fawkes, CEO of Glue Technology Society. Good to have you back. Thanks for having me, Haley. Also joining the panel is Owen Ingram, CTO at Easy Market and also one of our BC CTO award winners for this year. Good to have you on the show. Thanks, Haley. We have a number of topics to get to, but this first one is generating quite a bit of news. Imagine you're traveling to the U.S. on holiday, on business, for school. You have a visa. You're at the border, you get stopped and turned around and sent home because of a message somebody sent you on social media. There are a lot of layers to this story, Linda, but I want to get your initial take on what some of the things were that crossed your mind when you heard this. Uh, Firstly, that these incidents have tripled since Trump's come into power. We can also have it coming the other way into Canada. So this isn't just an American thing. And that we need to, as business people, especially and students, I now coming into uh, the States, we need to be careful about the devices we're bringing in. So I think travel across the border in any regular way, especially for business, means traveling with travel devices that are wiped clean. You're not going to bring your computers with all the files on them. You're not going to bring phones that have your history. And then thirdly, fourthly, fifthly, I'll say these poor kids coming in trying to get into first year university, they're going to be asked for social media accounts that go back five years. That's their entire high school life. Good Lord. (laughs) Look out, world. And on platforms, I think a lot of people consider to be private, especially if you have the settings set to private, Owen. Do we have any privacy? Can we expect privacy at this point for, quote unquote, social platforms? Yeah, I think that we're in this interesting transition where social media is, uh, people are becoming aware of how powerful it is. It's uh, 
It's actually an, an interesting philosophical piece on identity uh, now that we're digitizing ourselves so much. Um, I think that people are, if they can search your luggage for things that might clue them to, um, you know, a uh, nefarious character, then they, they would likely be able to search your phone. As far as uh, the private settings on social media, though, uh, yeah, that's, I think, overreaching where uh, they shouldn't have access to things that have been designated private, but uh, things that you are bringing across the border, uh, you know, in physical form or digitally, it does kind of make sense in the purview of, uh, you know, trying to make sure that they're catching bad actors. Well, and these aren't just privacy settings in social media. That's one angle. They're also asking for email accounts right. and addresses, historical ones. So, right. so we aren't just pre- we aren't just talking about social media where I always tell my kid and our glue people that have no expectation of privacy over there. No matter what you think, it's probably not going to be private at some point. So just live your life in an open and public way there. But within email, yeah, we're having very intimate and private conversations we expect nobody to be looking at. And that's perhaps not going to be the case moving forward. Yeah, and then that conversation goes into um, you know the rights we have as democratic nations. We're not you know uh, communist or fascist. So uh, the emails, the private pieces, where they uh, the user didn't didn't expect this to be public, and you know in any form in the future, that is definitely uh, I think a huge overreach uh, going into breaching of a uh, personal privacy. One thing you said, oh, and I want to pick up on is what we're carrying across the border digitally, which is an interesting way of thinking yeah. of digital products or digital information, because I don't think we necessarily think of it that way. We carry a phone, but it has all this information that you wouldn't necessarily carry in physical form yeah. across the border. Is that the reality? We just have to wipe these digital identities clean when traveling to certain countries? Like we check our suitcase, we just check our phone? Yeah, I think right now it's the digital, like the Wild West uh, in an ethical sense, because, mm-hmm. um, you know, Twitter was a platform for, um, you know, just casual kind of humorous things. Right. And now it's, uh, you know, the primary form of communication for the leader of the free world. Um, and so I think that everyone's starting to realize, oh, these are serious matters, like our digital forms of ourselves online, um, they need to be taken Seriously, and for this example, of, uh, uh, when they're, you're the recipient of a group, let's say a WhatsApp group, um, you know you have to be cognizant that if you're part of a WhatsApp group or any type of group that is receiving, you know, very um, difficult uh, subject matter, then uh, you know that you're you are liable. You're you know that's that's something that you have to consider, at least in the public pieces. It's mm-hmm. considered your ownership if it's on your device, right? So wipe before you cross is the recommendation if you're yeah. going to be traveling. And then there's many examples of high-profile business executives traveling with hard drives that have been backed up with content, and that's equally uh, lie or available for the border services to troll through, to sniff through. So yeah. your digital self can't go with you on your trip, I think. He has to stay home. Yeah, just like a physical <laughs> self, you had a briefcase full of top secret files. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's similar if it's in a digital format now. So How cute. It used to be chained to your wrist or something with like a three-digit <laughs> yeah. code. Yeah. That used to do it. <laughs> yeah. I know someone who was preparing across the border. He wiped his phone completely, not just of messages, but of all the numbers too. His Ooh. concern being that maybe they'll start calling someone. Maybe they can somehow unlock something on the device. He wiped it clean, but it's not really wiped. I mean, how deep do we need to go is one of the questions, right? If you start I'd say calling if you're, your contact I'd list. say if you're worried, you just get a burner. 
A burner, yeah. yeah. Or, or mail your device to someone on the other side, perhaps. I don't know Although how that starts clever to sound sketchy get. too, right? Yeah. You come across with the burner with no information, no information at all, three yeah. numbers on it or something. No but, apps. But if you're worried, you know, the cloud is our friend right now. I'm not right. sure how long that's going to stay our place of privacy, but yeah. right now you're going to probably be well served to send everything up to the cloud and pick it up on the other side. Yeah, that makes sense. It sounds hugely inconvenient to wipe the numbers. Yeah. 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 Moving on to our next one, I think there's been much debate about the extent to which Siri, Alexa, Google are listening to our conversations. In this particular instance, Apple has apologized for sharing some of the conversations people have with Siri with third-party companies in an effort, they say, to improve the way that the product works. Do we believe Apple's sincerity in their apology? This is something we talk a lot about on the show, Owen, and we know Apple has been trying to bill itself as the guardian of privacy. It's different from Facebook and Google because it cares about privacy. What do you think of their apology and what happened? I think it's twofold. There's, um, I do feel bad for the data scientists in the back of the room that just really, truly want more data because these, um, the uh, deep learning systems, are, it's a, it's a really a magical technology. Um, and so with a bit of guidance, uh, you know, like the, the issue here was guidance. Uh, they had third party people, uh, you know, actually humans reviewing the data to try to uh, guide these uh, learning models. Um, but, you know, at the, end, at the end of the day, for the technical side of it, it's um, they need more data. They need as much data as they, as they can get. And uh, I think there's something really, um, you know, it's a genuine ask for, uh, on that side. The other side, obviously, is uh, about the privacy piece as well. Um, you know, if you're expecting Apple to protect your privacy and they are uh, sharing around files it's a little bit unnerving um i don't think i don't know if think they approached it in a way that uh they're going to be saving this data to be resold or anything mm-hmm. i think it was truly to enhance their product so mm-hmm. i don't yeah i don't feel like it's that far off but the idea of uh you know people obviously listening to your conversations is is definitely unnerving um yeah. And again, another place people expect privacy. We They go in expecting this to be a private environment. But we, we know if you've used these voice assistants, you understand how much better they've got over the last years. And the reason they're getting better is because they're listening to what we're saying and they're learning from our behavior and the way we speak. And, and so it's important data for these devices to collect if we want them to be the guardians of our life. We're, we're walking into a voice-activated world where we will talk to our refrigerators and our phones and our and our cars. And we want all those voice assistants to be good and accurate and get us exactly what we want. And and so we, we're kind of wanting both sides of this equation, aren't we? Privacy, but accuracy. And it's difficult to have both. I actually already talked to my refrigerator, but yeah, it doesn't do you? Tell me. Yeah. <laughs> does it the, respond? <laughs> does it open the door when you command it? No, I'm just <laughs> wondering where the milk is and things like that. But um, yeah, the... Um, this whole concept of uh, of you know the advancements of the um, voice recognition is interesting. Uh, almost a year ago now, MIT had a project that uh, they could now do transcriptions better than a, a legal transcriber in court, um, and so it, you know it opens up obviously a huge opportunity uh, to go beyond human capabilities. Um, and so, yeah, again, I just kind of feel for all the data scientists that are yeah. uh, people are thinking that they're. Uh, secret agents, but they're just they're just trying to enhance this technology. And I am impressed, though, by Apple because they are polishing their reputation as the guardians of our data security mm-hmm. and our online security. Um, but I am impressed that they they at least recognized it. They 
apologized explicitly for the breach and for the error, and they corrected it. And that is certainly not what we're seeing, let's say, from Facebook when we're talking about the apology tour of 15 years for Facebook. So so at least we can't expect perfection with these companies. We're all evolving into a world where our digital lives live alongside our personal lives, our human lives. But we need to um, understand that these companies are going to make mistakes and hold them accountable and expect them to fix their mistakes. And I'm I'm pleased that Apple did that. So I feel a little bit better about them doing that. Mm -hmm. Will there be other breaches? Obviously, there's going to be other problems come along. So, you know, what do we, what do we, if we want them to be perfect, they're not going to be. So what do we expect on the other end? And we expect an apology and something done. And that is what happened here. And I wonder the extent to which we maybe need to consider the fact that they do need data to improve the products because people have made endless amounts of jokes about how these systems or home devices don't work or the gaffes that happen. It requires data and it requires people to understand to some extent how people use them. Otherwise, they're not necessarily valuable to the company and not necessarily valuable to the user at the end of the day. Yeah. And for the most case, uh, these learning systems, uh, no one's reviewing them. There's no human there. Mm. Um, so this is a specific case of um, trying to get, you know, even deeper with the technology. But most of the time, these deep learning systems, they, they don't care. They're, you know, it's, uh, it's just a computer. Yeah. They don't mind what you're talking about. <laughs> That's right. It's a robot. <laughs> yet. 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 <laughs> yeah. Yet. We'll see. Our final topic of the day is a controversial one. Social credit systems. China has one in place that essentially grades businesses on compliance. There are hundreds of requirements to, sounds kind of Orwellian, promote integrity. And some people have called it gamifying authoritarianism. On one hand, it could be a good thing. Compliance is a necessity. Obviously, you can see that there would be a lot of concerns with this and what happens to companies or individuals if they're not compliant with many of the requirements in this instance. What are our thoughts generally? You mentioned philosophy earlier, Owen, when it comes to crossing the border and our digital identities. What philosophically comes to mind when you hear something like this system? Is it good? Is it bad? Is it something in between? Yeah, it's a tricky one. It kind of goes to the uh, the the handler of the data. Um, you mm. know, on the right hands, uh, I think it's pretty. You know, uh, it's actually very useful. Um, but in the wrong hands, this could be you know a very controlling system. Um, I, it's interesting with China. Their corporate governance is. Uh, it's actually the U.S. and China are the only ones that have of the developed world that has. Um, uh, no corporate governance other than the, um, uh, what is it? The, uh, they do everything for the common shareholder. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, with Canada, we have, uh, the shareholder or the stakeholder includes the, uh, local community, the environment, your employees. Um, but for China, they don't really have a lot of governance. It's, it's the wild west there. Um, so this system could actually be kind of a, you know, a, an adjunct of, of uh, a controlling piece to their um, pretty wild corporate system. Um, and so I, I, it could be used in the right way. Um, but uh, the other the flip side, obviously, is this is just can get out of control into a really uh, dystopian future where um, everything you do is uh, tightly uh, monitored to the point where you can uh, be a second-class citizen, uh, you know, and be rejected from, uh, you know... uh, Planes, trains, and automobiles. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And even just, um, they don't have the right for, to make money or to to pursue happiness in China. So uh, for them, they have 
uh, no defense uh, in this situation. For us, we would take it, you know, to the, a constitutional arena, uh, pretty pretty much immediately, probably, and we'd favor the side of um, people having the right to, um, you know, make a better life. And so, because of that, uh, any of these systems that would be, you know, constricting on mobility or anything like that, um, or even just uh, opening a bank account, uh, you know, that wouldn't fly here. But um, but I guess who knows? I, we can say yet on that one as well. We can. And it looks like these the business social credit that we're talking about in China as well is going to penalize the smaller companies, right? This is going to take a lot of internal bodies and dollars to ensure you're in compliance. And the EU is very concerned that some of their smaller companies are simply not going to be able to afford to play in this arena. So we're back to this big company keeps getting bigger and small company gets booted out the back door. So hopefully... They will find a way to um, streamline the regulation process. But is this going to be something we see China starting with and then the EU adopts some version of this or the America adopts some version of this? That's my guess as to where it's going to go in the future. And does this make global trade safer, more efficient? Hard to know. When we were talking a bit about the business side, but there's also the risk of these systems and their impact on individuals. What are your thoughts with is it Sesame Social Credit and the risks there are to our individual privacy and rights? I think, firstly, we're not quite looking at an issue of black or an episode of Black Mirror quite yet in China, <laughs> even though Mike Pence wants to think we are. We're not quite there yet, but it's where it's moving potentially. It's where the technology could take us, isn't it? Um, but we do have these underlying systems here, as you can see in the Fast Company article that we read as part mm -hmm. of the prep for this show that we're talking about these um, insurance companies being able to use our posts of the example they used of free soloing Al Capitan. When you say in your insurance uh, form, no, I don't do any you know, risky sports, that can be used against you when they're talking about your premiums or even allowing you to be covered. So Airbnb, you can get kicked off your account if you're a terrible um, tenant and you are going to be disallowed rides on Uber if you're not a good passenger. So we're, we're starting to create this system here. But these systems are that we're talking about are being controlled by companies. And we have no recourse. We have no rights when it comes to what Google wants and what Uber wants and what Airbnb wants. We're just going to have to go along for the ride or not. So it's it's I hope that we're going to be protected by our constitution and our laws, um, but it looks like the companies are just going to steamroll through uh, on their own policies. And so that puts us in this weird, almost Chinese-like state here, right? Because we want to book through Uber and we want to, you know, sort of get a ride through Uber and book through Airbnb, but... Yeah, I know. think this is part of the rude awakening of the digitization mm -hmm. of our lives. Um, and uh, actually, as, uh, Elon Musk was saying people don't realize it, but we're already we're already cyborgs in a degree. Um, and so I think it goes back to you know the social media and uh, our internet presence has been so fun and naive up to this point. But now we're realizing, oh, this has a huge impact on my life, and I need to be very careful, uh, and I need to follow whatever privacy rules the corporations have in place. I don't know when the government should start to regulate these things, um, but at this point, it's just, I think it's just a matter of uh, being realistic. about. It. Well, and how do they regulate it? If we're talking about, let's just say WhatsApp. So what if the Canadian government says, you can't do that? I mean, what is WhatsApp going to do? What's Facebook going to do with that information? And, and it's, 
it, so I don't know what role governments play in it. And I don't know what role we as consumers, what impact we can have on these companies to say we do not want to be surveilled in this way. Do we want to have some rights when it comes to kicking us off your platform? But, you know, texting is one of the most used forms of communication on our planet. People still don't get that. So when our texting platform g- kicks us off, that's a significant problem, perhaps, for a lot of people. Um, when that texting platform, WhatsApp in this case, is automatically downloading images, oh, and why do they do that? <laughs> why is it not just a little question mark until I agree to accept yeah. the image? Anyway, yeah. I digress. Um, but when these, these texting platforms are getting us into trouble, we're in trouble. Like, this is our life. Our digital selves are ourselves. And mm-hmm. you know, the, it's almost charming for us to be face to face having this podcast right now, but our lives are lived not face to face largely. And we need to start understanding that and kind of getting along with the systems that run the operating systems of our lives and figure out how to stay safe and free over there. Yeah, I'd imagine there's going to be consortiums of privacy that will start to have certain standards. You know, if it's a this corporation will abide by a certain standard, which means it's kind of like the organic label to a degree. Uh, that probably would happen naturally. Um, I think we're at the early stage of realizing how important our digital selves are. Um, but yeah, our, speaking of the texting uh, at at uh, my work, we uh, we send actually over a hundred thousand text messages a day, and uh, uh, yeah, and it's just it's just crazy. The people people just love it. It's uh, you know, it's email is out, phone calls are definitely out, but texting is so easy, it's so light. Mm-hmm. It's up to you. Um, to your point, actually, about the images. Um, automatically downloading. I think that is a setting, actually. Oh, good. I think you can get in there somewhere. Change it, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you want to go to university in the States, you yeah. need to change that setting yeah, right for now. Sure. Yeah. Well, it is interesting, too, because when we talk about how disruptive some of these technologies have been, you can't necessarily go back. Like Uber might not be here in 100 years, but the idea that we'll go back to just having taxis that you hail on the street physically, I think those days are gone. Same with how disruptive Amazon's been. So if there is something like a credit system that can threaten your ability to shop on Amazon and smaller local businesses have been pushed out of business, it's hard to find alternatives potentially when it comes to things like this, including social platforms. Well, an Uber might not exist in 100 years, but the database they've collected is sure going to exist and be sold as a major asset in a dismantling of that company. So the data we're putting into this infrastructure is going nowhere. It's going to, if only, probably even just be disseminated even more because that's valuable. That's a big oh, yeah. asset that they're creating. Definitely. And uh, to the deep learning models and all the AI, we're just, we're at the tip of the iceberg uh, as far as how much we can mine out of it. Um, yeah. And storage is cheap. The, the, so it's almost too late for some people who've had, you know, their histories uh, published in the in the wild. Um, you know, we've seen that all over the place where people get uh, let go or they don't get certain deals because of their, you know, 10 years ago, they had a certain tweet or whatnot. Um, but I think it's starting to hit home to the average consumer. It's not just celebrities anymore. People are realizing it's, they are many celebrities on online. So um, yeah, they have to be very safe. Which is why we need to really consider these technology companies in our lives as partners in our security and understand whose best interests they have at heart. Are they willing to make changes? So back to my comment about Apple. Important for me as an Apple user, they did something about this. I'd be I'd be very sad if they didn't, probably looking for another phone eventually. But So we need to hold them to a higher uh, level and we need to expect them to make changes. And as consumers, that means we need to start getting involved. We can't just let the privacy experts and the news channels talk about it. We got to start getting involved in some way. Will that change Zuckerberg's behavior and his domain? I 
It hasn't, so probably not, but maybe it means we choose different platforms to work on, to yeah, work with. And that's exactly the point. Um, these technologies, there's not a huge barrier to entry on them. There will be more and more competition. Um, and so we have to you know, vote with our dollars. Um, and that's really what it comes down to. Uh, the companies, as exactly what you said, uh, you know, if Apple has apologized sincerely and they um, have you know, a plan for change, then you can continue to buy their lovely products. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's really down to the free market to decide, which is the beauty that uh, our capitalistic framework is actually set up well for this type of scenario. Um, yeah, especially as their corporate lives are more and more public, uh, you know, as, uh, as we know the ins and outs of Apple and other companies like that, um, we're going to be uh, looking for ones that are promoting privacy and, uh, you know, um, actually take an honest step in the right direction. And give us some ownership over our data, yeah. too, because that's part of it. Ten years ago, I don't know what I was posting <laughs> on Facebook. You can download your history, I suppose, right? Yeah. But that's part of it, knowing maybe how you're graded in society. You can be a little proactive and figure out what's yeah. out there. It's scary. Just go back. You can see all of your... <laughs> I don't want to. I just... know I should. And I we're not just to. talking terrible hairstyles and fashion. <laughs> Owen, Linda, thank you all so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. That's Owen Ingram, CTO at Easy Market, and Linda Focus, CEO of Glue Technology Society. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV Today. You can get notified of new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. All of our episodes are also available at BIV.com slash audio. And for more business news across media, you can visit BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. 